Dear God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for the, the sun that shines outside. Oh, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to this earth to live a sinless life, die on a cross, and rise again from the grave so that we can have the hope uh, of resurrection. God, we thank you for uh, the book of Acts as well. Thanks for Luke for recording all these things for us. And I pray that as we open up your scriptures this morning, that you would speak through those words. Uh, you would speak to our hearts, convict us of, of sin, of righteousness, and of your coming judgment. And that you would do a work in our hearts to conform us to be more like your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our look at the book of Acts, and specifically today we're going to be looking at the last few verses of chapter 4 and the first few verses of chapter 5. Uh, last week Mike kind of took us through the bulk of Acts chapter 4 as Peter and John boldly proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus as they stood on trial before the temple uh, authorities. They had even been arrested uh, by those authorities after healing a lame man and then preaching about the resurrected Jesus, uh, and the, the religious Authorities did not appreciate that kind of a preaching. And so, upon being released from prison, they were sternly warned never again to preach in the name of Jesus. But of course, they emphatically responded that they could not stop telling about the things that they had seen and heard. Uh, in fact, as soon as they were released, they met together with the rest of the church and they prayed together for even more boldness to share the gospel of Christ. And of course, God was quite happy to answer those prayers. In fact, the very last verse of that passage says this in verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Uh, undeterred by the threats of the authorities and empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, the disciples faithfully continued to carry out the mission that God had given them, and that is to go into all the world, make disciples, preaching the gospel to all the nations. And of course, as they did that, the church grew by leaps and bounds. Uh, back in verse 4 of this chapter, Luke kind of gives us a numbers update, and he says, the number of men who believe now totaled about 5,000, all right? And, and that's, that's in a pretty short period of time, perhaps days or even weeks from the, the day of Pentecost. Um, in just a short time, 5,000 men, and that's just the men I should mention too. There's undoubtedly women and children uh, included uh, on top of that number as well. So, you know, we're looking at a church of, a, you know, maybe 10,000 people at this time. And, and that's that would, that would be quite, a, quite an amazing church. And what's even more amazing, I think, is how Luke describes that group of people. Uh, in verse 32, Luke says, All the believers were united in heart and mind. Now that is an amazing statement, right? All the believers, some five to 10,000 people were all united in heart and mind. I think most of us know from experience how hard it is to get people on the same page, right? Whether you're, you know, doing a project at work with somebody or you're, you're a, some, a student working on a group project, or even if as a family, you're just trying to decide what movie to watch, right? It is really difficult to get everybody on the same page. But here we have five to 10,000 people all united in heart and mind. This is exactly what God intends for his church. In fact, you'll remember that, that Jesus prayed for those very things uh, back uh, uh, the, the Last Supper. As Jesus was praying for his disciples, he said in uh, John 17, 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
You know, I think this is the kind of unity that we see in Acts chapter 4 here. Even though they numbered in the thousands, they, they saw themselves as one, right? In their hearts and minds, they were one. They weren't many individuals. They were one family. In fact, the, the rest of the verse goes on to say, uh, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Right? They didn't even consider their possessions to be their own, but rather they considered everything to be available for the good of the group. Now, this isn't to suggest that the, the early church had a, you know, a communist-style philosophy where no individual owned anything, but rather it just illustrates the, the unity and the love that these guys had for one another, which led them just to share everything they had. This would not be unlike you know, what you would see in a marriage, right? When you get married, you enter into a shared life. Right, as the scriptures teach in Matthew 19.5, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And as such, now that you're united into one, you care for that other person like you would care for yourself, right? And so out of that great love and care, you know, you, you just automatically share everything you have with them. You don't even consider what you have to be your own, but it's yours together as a couple, right? Why would you withhold good things from someone that you are united with, right? And so that's the principle we see here in Acts chapter 4. All the believers considered themselves to be united in Christ. They were brothers and sisters in the family of God, and so they cared for each other accordingly. Uh, we read further in verse 33. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Now, that's, that's actually pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, today, we kind of expect the government to take care of, of those in need, right? We've got, you know, welfare. We've got social assistance programs of, of every shape and size. You know, we've got the, the child tax benefits and, and all those things, right? But back then, if you fell on hard times and you didn't have friends or, or family to help you out, you were in serious trouble, right? The, the government did not help you at that time. And so now, for an entire church of, you know, five to 10,000 people to have no needy among them, you know, that, that was unheard of in those days. That, that didn't happen. And, and so, because of their great love for one another, they just took care of each other, even going so far as to selling their homes and their land so they could give to those in need. Now, again, I should clarify that this is not a, a requirement that was set by the church. Uh, there's no real expectation that people should sell their possessions and, and give to those in need. I think that's probably why Joseph kind of gets uh, pointed out here, right? His actions were uh, a little bit unusual. Uh, not everybody sold their homes and their land to, to give to those in need. Um, but there were some. Uh, this guy, Joseph, as an example, or Barnabas, as he became, uh, became known eventually, but uh, apparently God had blessed him with, with more than he needed. And so when he saw that there was a need in the church, he just felt that the right thing for him to do was to sell that, that piece of land that he had, give the money to the apostles so they could distribute it to those in need. And we don't get any sense as we read through this that he was you know, pressured to do that or, or that anyone was asking him to, to do that. But rather, we just see this, this son of encouragement was just doing what he felt God had called him to do with what God had given him. Uh, kind of like what Mike was uh, talking about in the kids' feature, actually. And it, this is a wonderful illustration of what God expects 
I think all of us to do. And, and I don't mean to say that, you know, God expects all of us to, to sell our possessions and give the money to the church or anything like that. But God does expect you to use what you've been given so that you can encourage one another, care for the church, and, and build up the kingdom of God. You know, Paul instructs us in uh, Romans 12, 4, he says, Just as your bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You know, just how, you know, every part of our physical bodies contributes to the, to the well-being and the function of our physical bodies. So God has given the, the church, his family, his body, all those different parts, all those different people, all those different roles, so they can work together to, to contribute to the well-being and the function of the church. And Barnabas obviously had at least a couple of those gifts that were mentioned here. He had the, the gift of encouragement, obviously, being the, the son of encouragement. And we also see they had the gift of giving. And he eagerly used those gifts for the benefit of the church. And so this morning, I just uh, ask you this question. How have you been using your gifts? Now, I know that not everybody has a, a field to sell, but everybody has some gift from God, uh, some unique thing that we can use for his kingdom and his glory. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. So the question is, what are the gifts that God has given you and how have you been using those gifts to help each other? What have you been doing to serve the church? And I don't just mean, you know, our church here in Penhold, but I'm talking about God's church, right? The, the kingdom of God that has been growing ever since the, the day of Pentecost, as we've been reading about. How are you contributing to this, this global movement, the kingdom of God? You know, last week we had a, a whole row of people stand up here uh, preparing to spend at least part of their summer out at camp uh, serving God there. Some to be counselors some to be horse wranglers, some to wash dishes, some to take out garbage. But all of them were going to use their gifts and their abilities to serve God, to encourage one another, and to build up the church. Uh, two weeks ago, we had Amber and Alex standing up here as they were preparing to, to go down to Mexico to serve the church there. Again, using the gifts and the abilities that God had given them, and they were going to contribute to the kingdom of God there. And so I ask you, what's God calling you to do? You know, God may not call you to go down to Mexico. God may not call you to go out to Camp Little Red. God may not call you to, you know, stack the chairs after the service, whatever it is, right? But God's calling you to do something. He's given you a gift, a, a unique ability to contribute to his kingdom. So what are you doing with that gift? How are you contributing to the kingdom of God to build up the church and, and to bring God glory? And I would just encourage you to be faithful to that calling, whatever it is to do whatever it is that he's asking you to do. Now, as Mike was talking about last week, it, it all really comes down to our obedience 
to his voice, right? That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that we've surrendered our will to his, and we've allowed him to lead us and to guide our actions. And so if God prompts us to, to sell a field, well, then we better sell that field. If God prompts us to go spend the summer at Camp Little Red, well, we better go out and spend that summer at Camp Little Red. Whatever it is, whatever God puts on our hearts to do, to use the gifts that he's given us to serve him, that's what we need to do. That's the, the important thing is that we are obedient to his voice. And that's actually a good segue now into chapter 5, because now, in, in contrast to Barnabas, we're going to see another couple of believers who were not obedient to the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter says these two had their hearts filled by Satan, which I think is a pretty strong warning for us. But let's read the passage, and, and we'll kind of see what's going on here. So Acts chapter 5 now, verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. All right, so, so it appears that this guy, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, they wanted to mimic the generosity that they saw in Barnabas. Or at least they wanted people to think that they had mimicked the generosity that they saw in Barnabas. So like Barnabas, they sold some of their property, and they brought some of the money to the apostles. However, they didn't bring all of the money. They, they actually kept some for themselves. And uh, for whatever reason, they, they weren't prepared to, to give it all. And, and that's, that's fine, but they still publicly claimed that they were giving the whole lot, right? It seems that they were more interested, or they, they were less interested in helping the needy and more interested in, in just kind of looking impressive to the rest of the church. It, it appears that they wanted to appear to be generous and, and maybe as spiritual as Barnabas, when in fact they were not. Uh, take a look at verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Right, so as Peter points out, the, the amount that they gave was not the issue at all. I mean, Peter said that the property was theirs to do with whatever they wanted at the, in the first place. And even after they sold it, the money was theirs to do with whatever they wanted. The, the issue here is that they decided to lie to the apostles, or more accurately, lie to the Holy Spirit, and say that they had given the whole amount, when in fact they had kept some of it for themselves. Now, had they certainly just simply said, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep a certain percentage and we'll give a, a little bit to the church— that would have been just fine, right? That still would have been a generous gift to help those in need. But that's not the issue. As we can see, Ananias and Sapphira weren't really motivated to help the needy. Their real motivation was to look good in front of everyone else. They were motivated by pride. They wanted to, to look spiritual and, and perhaps even spirit-filled like Barnabas. But as Peter pointed out, they weren't spirit-filled at all. They were actually Satan-filled. You know, if you read through the, the Gospel of John, you see often that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Truth, right? And, and Satan is known as the father of lies. So there's really no doubt about which spirit had filled Ananias' heart. Now, I'll point out again, as Mike mentioned last week, when the Bible talks about being filled with something or someone, it, it means that they've allowed themselves to be influenced or, or controlled by that thing or person. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira had done. Instead of inviting the Holy Spirit to influence and control their decisions, they had allowed Satan to take that role. 
And I think that should serve as a, as a strong warning for all of us. As far as I can tell, based on the context of this story, Ananias and Sapphira were probably born-again believers. And those believers, just like you and I, somewhere along the way, it seems that they gave a tiny foothold to the devil. You know, maybe just a, a brief thought of greed or, or a little thought of pride. But then, instead of taking captive that thought and making it obedient to the word of God, as we're told in the scriptures, they allowed that thought to grow. And they ignored the, the clear promptings of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and in their conscience. And slowly but surely, they allowed Satan more and more influence in their lives. And we need to be so careful not to let that happen to us. We need to be diligent about inviting the Holy Spirit on a, on a daily basis or, or even more often uh, to have full control in our lives. We need to invite him to examine our, our actions and our, and our thoughts and our motives and our attitudes, everything we think and do to make sure that we're following his leading and we're not allowing Satan to have any influence in our lives. In fact, maybe, maybe you won't even want to do that right now. I mean, this is as good as time as any to make sure that things are right between you and God. I'd encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit just to examine every part of your life, to, to point out any areas where there might be some attitudes or, or some beliefs or some actions that are not from him. And if there is, confess those things to him. Ask his forgiveness and invite him to redirect you as he sees fit. Give him full and unrestricted access to every part of your life. Choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the minute we allow Satan to fill our hearts, disaster is sure to come. And that was certainly the case for Ananias and Sapphira. Let's keep reading on in verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, what a, a tragic ending for these two people as, who, as Peter put it, conspired to test the spirit of the Lord. You know, and, and while it may appear a little bit, you know, harsh for God to strike them dead for this offense, I think we forget that all sin is worthy of death. You know, by all accounts, God should strike all of us dead for the sins that we've committed. It's only by God's grace and mercy that he doesn't. And, and I don't dare assume the Lord's intentions in this instance, but if I were to guess, I would guess that God wanted to paint a clear picture for the early church of how seriously he takes sin and, and what an offense it is when we, his children, follow the father of lies rather than the spirit of truth. You know, what a, a strong warning for us today. And what a contrast we see between this couple and Barnabas. Uh, they're almost exact opposites. And I kind of think that's how, how Luke was, was framing this as he wrote this out here. You know, on one hand, we have Barnabas, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then on the other hand, we have Ananias and Sapphira, having their hearts filled by Satan. We've got Barnabas, motivated by love for the church. And we have Ananias and Sapphira, motivated by their own selfish pride. 
Barnabas gave what he had for the benefit of the church. Ananias and Sapphira held on to what they had to their own demise. Barnabas became known as the son of encouragement, and he would later travel with Paul on his missionary journeys. Ananias and Sapphira would become known for their deception, and their deaths have served as a warning for Christians for the last 2,000 years. And what a contrast in characters. And I just wonder, which of those characters do we relate to this morning? You know, are we like Barnabas? Are we like the son of encouragement? Are we like the guy who's filled with the Holy Spirit, full of love for the Lord, love for the church? Are we the guy who used what he had for the benefit of the church and to the glory of God? Or are we sometimes a little bit more like Ananias and Sapphira? Have we maybe given Satan some, some tiny footholds in our lives, footholds that quickly grow? Would we rather falsely appear to be spiritual rather than choose to be honest with others and with God? Do we value our, our possessions or our pride more than we value a right standing with God? You know, if that's the case for you, if you're the latter there, then I have some good news for you. There's still time to make some changes in your life. God has not yet struck you dead. And so if there are areas in your life where maybe you have given Satan some control or influence, uh, you can surrender your life to the Holy Spirit right now. I mean, in just a, a matter of moments, you can be forgiven. You can be clean. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's personal presence can fill your life, and he will transform you from the inside out. But all we need to do is simply surrender our lives to him, to be obedient to his voice no matter what he says. Can I just encourage you this morning to make that commitment, to surrender your whole life to Christ. Don't allow Satan any, any foothold in your life, as tiny as it may be, but rather choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled and directed entirely by him on a daily basis. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this warning and this encouragement that we read in the book of Acts. We thank you for the example of Barnabas, the son of encouragement. We thank you for his life. Uh, and I pray that we would mimic that, not the, the life of, of Ananias and Sapphira. May we take those as a warning and may we mimic Barnabas as he mimics you. It's your character that gives and serves. I pray that that would be our characteristics as well. As we examine our lives this morning, God, there's likely areas of our lives where we're you know, holding on to some of our own stuff. Maybe we're not quite willing to surrender that area of our lives. And maybe, maybe we've given Satan a, a bit of a foothold there. God, I pray that we would be able to surrender every area of our lives to you. May we be willing to be, to be honest with ourselves, honest with you. May we have that spirit of truth in us and not deceive ourselves or, or others or try to deceive you. We know that doesn't work. But may we just accept the truth and may we accept you and may you transform us from the inside out. God, make us more like your son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>